want to share from John chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. May the light shine just a little brighter in each of us as we hear from God through his word. Listen carefully to the action words. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Amen. It is a great passage. Thank you, Bill. It's Bill Caulfield. Bill is from Ontario, out visiting family, grandkids, and uh, Bill has been a friend for many, many years. Um, from Ontario. He's been our regional minister in the Eastern Association uh, for a number of years as well, so we're delighted to have you today, Bill. Um, well, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, just uh, thank you for these moments. Uh, we just thank you for this emphasis on the light this morning of who you really are. When you come into our world, you light up our world, you light up our lives, you give us direction and clarity and vision as we've uh, sang about this morning. So thank you for all you are and all you do. Help us this morning as we look at your word uh, just to see you as the, the awesome Son of God, second person of the Trinity, the Logos, the Word, and all of our praise and all of our glory goes to, yours, to, you, to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've just uh, commenced our study of the Gospel of John, as you know. This is the third message. Last Sunday, we looked at that incredible uh, first verse of the first chapter. Uh, it's the highest mountain peak in all of Scripture, in my opinion. It gives us a dimension uh, that we must not miss to appreciate the person of Jesus Christ in our lives. And John's gospel launches with the words, In the beginning, all good stories begin like that, don't they? Once upon a time, there was a land called Narnia. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a kingdom called Camelot. Once upon a time, there was a prince and a princess. And so in the beginning, once upon a time, your thoughts probably go to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You can't start there. That's Genesis 1.1. Where does the story start? The story really unfolds in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, actually, in a beginning that had no beginning. In a beginning that had no beginning. In eternity past. In a realm that is so unfamiliar and so unknown to us. In other words, in the once upon a time, before all time, before there was time, there was perfect love. The, the life of the Trinity shows us real intimacy. The kind of love that you're looking for all of your life. I mean, if you've grown up thinking of God existing only in himself, it is refreshing to think of him as existing in community, in community. God has never been by himself. God has always been a community of persons in the Trinity. For God to be love, as John says, God is love, there has to be someone to love. And so in the beginning, there was this divine community that every one of us has been searching for for all of our lives. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the Scriptures in Genesis says that God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And this is mind-boggling to think that the Trinity, the Godhead, determined to create human beings, men and women, and they would be given a capacity, an image, not physical, but a spiritual image, a moral image that was similar to God Himself. Wow, that says an awful lot about what God thinks about us. And how much he loves us. We would call it the dignity of humanity. The dignity of humanity. That we are made in the image. The image of God. That we would be shaped in his image is absolutely astounding. That's why we are relational at the very core of our being. Nothing will touch our hearts like relationship, either to thrill it or to, to, to break it, because we feel that, that relationship. Have you noticed that everyone is looking to get back to the intimacy of that kind of community that existed in the Godhead? Well, never really thought of it that way. We, we just aren't sure how to do that. We don't really frame it in those words. But that's what we really want. And that's what heaven will be like one day. We will be in the community, that kind of community of love. And uh, single people, single people think it's marriage. If I can just get married, then I'll have it. And married couples know that's not enough. If we could just have kids, that would be it. Or if we could just get into the right church. And if it's the wrong church, then maybe if we could get into a small group. 
that would be just the right small group. And if you have a small group, you think it's a different small group. And all of our lives, we're really wanting to experience community and love, such as existed between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That very wonderful, cohesive unity and love and harmony that existed there. God made us to live in community. And God created us and wanted to live in community, us to live in community with one another. And we all know what happened. It didn't take long to break community with one another and with God. We call it sin. We call it the fall. It was a breaking of the relationship between us and God and between one another. But once again, you see the heart of God. He says to Adam and Eve after their sin, it's going to be hard from now on. But hang on, I'll come. Hang on, I'll come. And then you have the story weaved throughout all of the Old Testament of God's pursuit of a people whose hearts he desires to win. One story after another story weaved in through the Psalms and the Proverbs and the prophets. And God is pursuing us desiring that our hearts will turn back to him because he wants to have compassion on us, because he wants to tell us how much he really loves us and how much he is for us and that he's not against us, but he is for us. And what a battle throughout the pages of the Old Testament. And it's no different for us today. The children of Israel would follow for a little while and then they would wander off and They'd get back on track again and they'd wander off this way and you'd think, well, now they're going to get it. And they'd wander off this way and, and they would walk with God and then they would find a foreign God and they would start off in a new direction. And every one of us has other lovers, television, work, sports, food, Something, something that we give our hearts away to other than the heart of God. But God, through all of those years, kept saying, hang on, hang on, hang on, I'll come. And they looked for the Messiah to come. And then there were 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And God seemed strangely quiet. And then he comes, the second person of the Trinity, the Word, the Logos. And John the writer wants to be sure that we get the context of who he is, not just another man, not even another good man, but he has always, 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 always existed. And God himself comes to us. Just like he said, hang on, I'm going to come, I'm going to come to you, and he does. And now he's here, and now he's here. And John the Baptist has the pleasure of introducing him. Let's pick it up in verse 6. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony 
John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The first thing that's obvious is that John was sent by God. John the Baptist was sent. He was commissioned by God. You know, uh, uh, just a little story. I attended most of the building committee meetings when this uh, building was under design and then when it was actually being constructed. Uh, and sometimes during, during those meetings, we would have these very technical discussions about construction. And those that make it their living in construction forget that there are some of us who don't. And they begin to wax eloquently in their trade language. And I remember at times stopping the conversation and say, okay, guys, what are you talking about? And then they would put it in language that I could understand. Sometimes when we talk to a physician and we really want to know what's happening, we invite our best medical person in the family along. And we say to them, now tell me what she said. What did he mean? We just want to be sure that we heard clearly. After this lofty introduction in the first four verses of John, we now come right down to earth and our terms become simpler. John the Baptist has a specific purpose in mind and that is to introduce Jesus. He's going to step the truth down to us. He's going to be the translation guy when we ask the question, now what does all this really mean? John the Baptist is going to put the truth down at our level. He's, he's the one we look to and, who's, and we ask the question, what does it all mean? What is, it, what is it really all about? Tell us the real story here. God sent him. He was a powerful man in history. He was a communicator about Jesus. His mission was to tell. He was a witness. And he put the truth down at our level. And friends, that's our job too. We have neighbors and friends and family who need a translator. We need to get this lofty truth of John 1, 1 down to them so they can say, Ah, I get it. No one ever said it that way before. I thought it was just religion. They might not tune into John 1.1. They might miss it. They might not value it. They might not get it. So we need a translation and a translator. Someone who gets it so people will believe. Someone who puts the goods on the table so they can pull up a chair, sample the goods and say, Oh, is this ever good? I never tasted it before. I never understood that this is what it's all about. I didn't get it. Hear it again. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. You know, perhaps, the incredible birth story of John the Baptist. Born to Zechariah and Elizabeth, God honored them in their old age, and John the Baptist was born. He had a call in his life to introduce Jesus to the world. Rugged individual that he was. Very noticeable to the society in which he lived. John stood out. 
But his message was potent and clear. And he managed somehow to break through all the complexities and come right to the point. This is the one that you've been waiting for. This is the one who is the light of the world. Have you been thinking about this in your life? How are you going to relate to some of the people in your life? Because it just seems like, I don't know, it just goes past them. Have you been thinking about how you can put truth on a level that people can say, hey, I get that. Sometimes people don't get, get it until you find a way to serve them. Yeah, sometimes they don't get it. They don't stop to think about it until you come alongside of them and you actually serve them. To bless them. To encourage them. To support them. Just to come right alongside of them. And often, they're open to truth when it comes on that level. Sometimes people don't get it and you need to be ready with a word that explains how you cope with life. Why life is significant to you and what makes it purposeful and what gives you the energy to go forward and to be able to say, this is what the gospel means to me, the good news. And, and I found meaning in my life. I, you know I'm not there yet. I'm struggling just like the rest of us. But, but I've, I have found something in my life that connects. So think about what you could share, how you could share it. Think about your choice of language that resonates with the people in your life. Maybe you need to say it differently to this person over here. And maybe you would rephrase it completely to this person over here. The writer, the Apostle John, is careful to point out that John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. He was a witness. Oh, and what a committed witness he was. So much so that his head ended up on a platter at King Herod's party. What a calling. He knew his calling. He was sent from God. He was a communicator of the truth. He brought the truth to a level where they could get it. And he was a witness to the very end. Across the globe these days, we're being reminded of how important it is to, to be a witness and uh, to have the call of God on our lives. And Pastor Saeed, uh, we've been praying for him. You know, he's the, he's the U.S. pastor that's been in an Iranian prison for two years. We're just marking the second anniversary of his imprisonment, uh, sometimes in solitary confinement, uh, and then when not, in conditions where he's been beaten, medically mistreated, but he continues to be a witness. And people are praying for him by the thousands around the world, praying for him for courage, for grace, for strength. Yes, Lord, and we pray it even now, all of those things. And, and yes, for release as well, that he would finally be able to be home with his wife and family. In Germany years ago, during the dark days of Hitler, Christians went through hard times. Some evangelical churches capitulated and some didn't. 
Some churches paid a, made a costly declaration, declaration that Jesus was Lord even over der Führer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was executed, but not before he had written The Cost of Discipleship, this wonderful book. If you've never read it, pick it up. It'll bless your heart. In which he made it so clear that there is always a costly grace in being a witness. John the Baptist was a faithful witness. And he always knew his place. He was not the light. He was humble enough to say it. Someone's coming after me who's far greater than I. For he existed before me. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. The credentials for heaven-sent ministry are humility and understanding of your place in bearing his witness, his servant. Let me say it again. The, the credentials for heaven-sent ministry are humility and understanding your place in simply being a witness, being his servant. Nothing cancels ministry faster than a spirit of pride. Super churches, mega churches, well-known personalities who receive so much attention have to really keep grounded so they can distinguish between pointing to the light and thinking they are the light. But it can happen to any of us that we lose perspective and we forget our call to simply be humble servants who walk faithfully with him. John Piper, the Baptist pastor who is so well known uh, out of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, recently stepped out of ministry. It's, it's been a, a year ago, I think. And, uh, he stepped down uh, from years of being uh, just uh, so active and such, a, such an amazing servant of God because he said he was feeling the presence of pride and he was responding in ways that he knew was not how God wanted him to think or to feel. He just wanted to stop that and put those things back in order. And you have to admire that, that he recognized that. And he said, I've got to stop. I've got to stop and come out of this limelight, and I've got to just get refocused. Shortly before uh, Dallas Willard died from cancer in 2013, Pastor John Ortberg asked him, do you regret anything? And Willard answered, I regret the time I have wasted. A stunned Ortberg wrote, if there's any human being on the planet who has not wasted time, it is Dallas Willard. I don't think he'd know what a television was if it hit him on the head. He's either reading or teaching or doing ministry or doing bits of carpentry around his house or mentoring students or praying. If he's guilty of wasting time, the rest of us, well, where does that leave us? Ortford explained what he thinks Willard meant by that one regret. Redeem the time, the Apostle Paul said, because the days are evil. He said, I think Dallas regretted all the time he wasted 
not because he compared himself to more others, more efficient people, but because he began to see what life could be. I remember him saying that all of us lost souls allow ourselves to live in worry and anger and self-importance and pettiness when life with God is all around us. And we got hijacked on the trail of pettiness. We got, we got hijacked on the trail of smallness in life or anger or self-importance. John the Baptist knew who he was. He knew who he was. Secondly, a mixed reception. He came to the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Our first pastorate was in a town close to Ottawa called Arnprior. Norbentina, know it well, served there for 11 years in the very same church that Mark and I served uh, just a few years before. And uh, Bill Caulfield, who read the scripture this morning, that is his home church and Patty's home church, uh, Patty Kern, that's where they grew up. So we were 26 years of age, both Mark and I, when we went to Iron Prior, first church, a new adventure. A long ways from home, we had one relative in Ontario, and that was comforting. We could say, we have some family there. An aunt, four hours away. Well, several months after we were in Ironfriar, we went on a little trip to attend an association meeting called the Eastern Association. And so now we were within driving distance of my aunt. I called her up, hoping to have a short visit. Mark knows what I'm going to say. And uh, I said, hello. Hi, it's Ken, just wondering if we could have a coffee. We're in the area. Like Ken McDonald? Your nephew. From Alberta. Oh, hi, how are you doing? Fine, uh, I was just wondering if we, you'd like to have a coffee. Oh. Well, let's see. I, I don't think it works today. Well, we could come tomorrow or Sunday. We're still going to be here. Oh. Well, I'll have to see. Oh, I better say no. It just doesn't work. But thanks for calling. I will never forget that. I got the distinct impression she didn't want to see her nephew. Now, would, why would you not want to see me? I felt thoroughly rejected. And you know what I thought? Fleshly thought of a pastor. I'm never calling you again. I'm never calling you again. Well, until one day later, a couple of years later, she called and said, Hey, we're in the Arnprior area. We're going to stop in and see you and visit your church on Sunday. We'd love to be with you. I don't think we'll be there. It's not a good time for us. Well, they came. 
It was all good. Didn't stay too long. We had a chance to get caught up a little bit. I'm kind of still getting over this, uh, but I'll be okay with this. Can you imagine how the Logos felt? The Word, Jesus, the Son of God, when He came into the very world He created? I know this place. I created it. I recognize the terrain. I spoke it into being. I have family in this world. I'll call on them. Surely they will remember me. Surely they'll know who's calling. The world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. I mean, who should have been waiting for him? Who should have been ready to welcome him? Well, Judaism, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, the people of old, the people who had been the focus of God's revelation all through the Old Testament. They should have been ready and waiting and willing to talk, should they not? They should have said, oh, you're in the area? You're on the planet? Could you come over? Well, yes, absolutely you can come over and have coffee and dine and have a relationship with us. We want to know you. We've been expecting you. We've been talking about this for years. We were wondering if you would ever come. Yes, among his own people where readiness and receptivity should have been keen, there was only rejection. Reminds you of the birth story, doesn't it, of Jesus in Luke chapter 2 where Mary and Joseph came to the inn and Jesus is about to be born. But they're rejected. There was no room in the inn. And they were forced to go to the place where they kept the livestock, the barn, if you will. And here baby Jesus was born. Not a very welcoming reception into the world that he made. The world didn't know him. Why? Why was the word, the Logos, the second person of the Trinity, unrecognizable to them? You know the answer. He wasn't what they expected. He caught them off guard. They were looking for a mighty warrior, riding on a white stallion. They, 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 they anticipated that he would pound on Rome and he would return the flag to Israel to fly high and proud once more. But there was no stallion, and there was no sword, and he didn't come like that because he came preaching grace and mercy, virtues that didn't make any sense in a cruel Roman world. I mean, they were the ISIS of our day, those Romans. We have to knock them back. This can't be the one that we're waiting for. We don't recognize him. What will he do with the Romans? So they didn't recognize him. And whoever he claimed to be, well, they rejected him. But not all. But not all. To all who received him, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Uh, Friends, this is one of the strange paradoxes of the Scripture. And I believe I see it worked out in contemporary life 
Sometimes God seems to let everything look like it's totally lost. Have you ever noticed that? It's just like, that's done. Nothing's happening there. And the whole thing seems to be a failure. And rejection abounds. No visible progress. We're stuck. This may happen in your own life as well. I just want to call it to your attention this morning. Uh, to be ready for it, if it hasn't happened already, when it looks like everything you had hoped for and longed for has already failed, then God begins to work. The purchase of this piece of property on which this church stands is so real to me. I actually thought it was lost, the prime property in the whole town. But it wasn't lost. It wasn't really sold. Despite all the hoopla and people said it was sold, it's gone. They said it was. They said it was designated for business. They said we couldn't have it. And it was still there waiting for us six years later after the initial inquiry. It was still there, but we thought it was gone. I would drive by this property thinking it was gone and saying, too bad, that's the right property. I just know that's the right property. No, it wasn't gone. It just wasn't the right time. And at the right time, God began to work powerfully. And he brought it all about so that we could be located here today. It was very clear that this was not a human decision. This was a miracle of God. And this is what he did here. When the Messiah was rejected and the Creator was unrecognized, nevertheless, in the midst, God began to produce a whole new creation. And a whole new humanity began to come into being. I love it. You, you might look at our world and say, our community, our city really doesn't want to follow after the Lord. I mean, they're not attracted to him. And you would be both right and wrong. Because there are many who are saying yes to the Lord. There are many. Not all. But there are many. There are many in our community who will get it. They will believe it. Put the goods at their level. Come alongside of them. Serve them. And they will say yes. They will believe him and accept him and they will become the children of God. Can I tell you why some will and some won't? No, I, I, I don't know. I don't get it. Some will chew on the decision to come to Christ for a long time and others will respond more quickly. Some have huge blinders. I can't believe that stuff. Be sensitive to everyone on their journey. There's a harvest going on. As a church, we want to be available to come alongside of those who are saying yes today. And we want to be there tomorrow when the rest of the fruit on the vine ripens. It doesn't all ripen the same time. Pick the fruit that's ripe. Be faithful. God is speaking. Wait patiently. God is speaking in the midst of this congregation. I feel assured that he is among us. And we are responding to him in our time and in our way. And we offer each other to the Lord for his gracious work. We become children of God through a rebirth. Verse 13, they, were, are, are, they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from where? From God. 
Just like in chapter 3 of the same gospel, John is telling us to Nicodemus there needs to be another birth. How do you become one of the children of God? The answer is by being reborn. By being reborn. How are you reborn? It is not physical. It is a spiritual birth. It is something that God does in us. It's not a mass production. It's not where the whole city or the whole country or the whole community has a rebirth at the same time. It's not the rebirth of seven billion people on the earth at one crack. No, no, no. It's one birth at a time, the same as the birth of every baby. They come into the world one at a time, one at a time. That's the way the new creation is. You never come in with a crowd. You never say, oh, there's a big crowd going there. Well, let's just let's go in with the crowd. No, it's, it's never that way. You come one at a time. As God is dealing in your heart, you come. You might have grown up in a Christian home or come, gone to a Christian school or been involved in a church all your life, and, and it's wonderful and it's helpful, but it's not the means to being a child of God. We're children of God through a new birth. The new birth doesn't come through guessing or positive thinking or trying to internally will it to be. We aren't children of God because of the efforts of a priest or a pastor or a bishop. It's not because of a ceremony or a creed or even coming forward at the close of a service. It's the work of God in a rebirth. It's when you receive him. It's when you trust your life to him. It's when you invite him to be your savior and and your Lord. And it's not about feelings because some people will have different experiences. Yes, mine was a bit of an emotional experience when I came to Christ, but Mark's was not. It's it's not about feelings. Uh, It's about saying yes to Jesus. Come into my heart. And then a process of growing just as a baby grows. When a little baby is a very small embryo in the womb of a mom, the mother doesn't feel that embryo. But as time goes on, as the baby grows, the mom becomes aware that something inside of her is growing and there is change and development. And the new birth begins when you commit your heart, your life by faith to Jesus Christ, and you say, I trust you. I'm going to give myself to you. And when you take that step, and you start the process of growing, you begin to become more like Christ. It's a long journey with a commitment. But step by step by step by step, you see growth. You start to read his word. You begin to pray. You begin to get around Christians who are growing. And before you know it, you're growing too. You're growing right along with them. And you're developing. And that's what John is saying. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, but a birth that comes from God. Isn't that amazing that we can be the children of God? Let me, uh, let me read in closing the last verse that sums it all up. And uh, verse 14. And we'll, we'll leave this verse till Christmas. <laughs> we'll be back. This is a great Christmas sermon but we basically said the content of it uh, up to now. So, so the Word became human 
and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, full of grace and truth. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And I do appreciate Eugene Peterson's translation. The word became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. Isn't that great? And just moved into our neighborhood. Friends, he has moved into our neighborhood. He would love for every one of us to recognize him and become his children. This eternal word, the one who existed before there was time, the one who said, hang on, I'll come. He did come. Do you know him? Have you become his child? What a joy to take him seriously. Amen. Let's bow together. Lord Jesus, you are welcome here. There's room in our inn for you. Son of God, eternal word, the Logos. You are welcome. You are welcome in our hearts. We invite you to come into our hearts. We invite you to live in us. And we give you the full validation that you are the eternal word who has come into our world to love us and to bring us to a place of rebirth and transformation. And I pray that every heart, every life will have the joy of knowing your presence, Lord, that there wouldn't be one in this room that would leave without an assurance in their heart that they're, they're children of God and that your love resides deep, deep, deep within their hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.